You're listening to the Be Hooked Podcast, session number 90 with Brittany. Welcome to episode number 90 of the Be Hooked podcast. I'm super grateful that you're here. I know you could be spending your time in so many other ways, and hopefully you're getting some stitch time in as you listen, because this is actually going to be one of the longer episodes that we have here on the show. It was one of those chats that was just too good to cut short. Now, you may remember back in episode 81, I talked all about some of the personal struggles that I'm going through with posture and how that limits me in my craft with knitting and crochet. Well, in that episode, I basically shared a lot of different tips from suggestions within the community of how you can just bring awareness to your posture, take frequent breaks and that sort of thing so that we can continue to do what we love, but not experience some of the pains that can come along with that. Well, as a result of that show, a real fan of the show and somebody who is a professional in this sort of industry reached out to me personally and said, hey, I want to offer my services for you, my advice, my recommendations. I'm at your disposal. And so I had to take her up on that opportunity. So I'm joined today by Elena, a health professional who has really devoted her life to health and wellness, being the best version of herself. And as a bonus, she's also a crocheter too. So she can really relate her profession to us as knitters and crocheters. And that's why, man, it was just one of those wonderful, amazing chats. So I'm super excited to share all of her wisdom with you today. Before we get into that, though, I want to take a quick moment to thank my sponsor, Red Heart. So as you know, Red Heart has some new, yummy, squishy yarns for us to try out. And I've mentioned this one a couple of times, but it's definitely worth bringing up again. Now, do you remember that project that I posted probably four years ago? It was a little project called the Hairpin Lace Infinity Scarf. And let me just say, that project really catapulted me to where I am today. So that hairpin lace infinity scarf recommended the use of Red Heart Treasure yarn, which was a yarn that I found strolling the aisles of Joann's and just absolutely fell in love with it. It's a variegated yarn that has long sweeping colorways, but it also has some little bits of other fibers or other colors rather that are plied together. And so You get a mix of stripes and some almost like speckling to your stitches. Well, you may not have heard that Red Heart Treasure was recently discontinued. And as a result, I have been on the market for a yarn that is very comparable to this in terms of the color work. Because, well, that's what really made that hairpin lace infinity scarf so amazing. And, well... I think I found it, and I really hope you can give this yarn a try. It's called Red Heart Colorscape. It has a similar 
thickness and a similar feel with one exception. I have to say, it's a lot softer than Treasure. Another benefit to Colorscape over Treasure is that it's a a 100% acrylic yarn. So those of you with allergies or if you know somebody with allergies, this is going to be a great substitute for that project and you don't have to worry about those wool elements that were in Treasure. So you can find Red Heart Colorscape at your local craft store as well as see all of the beautiful colorways on redheart.com. Actually, that's what I would recommend you do. Head over to their website, redheart.com, and then look up Colorscape. I'll have this linked in the show notes as well so that you can see the 12 different colorways that it's available in. Now it ranges from really bright colors like some bright pinks and yellows and it goes all the way down to the neutral creams, whites, and grays. I think there's something for everybody there and I'm pretty sure you can look forward to a revamp of that Hairpin Lace Infinity Scarf using Colorscape yarn because it's the perfect substitute. Okay, now on to today's show We talk about a lot of different resources. We cover a range of topics relating it specifically to you as a knitter or as a crocheter, but also on the full spectrum of things of just health and wellness and being your best self. So yes, this is a little bit different than what we may have addressed here in the past where we talk a lot about tactics that could relate to your craft individually, how you might do something, or building your business and some tips around that. But we couldn't do any of those things if our health is suffering. And that's why this episode and this chat really resonates with me. And I know it's why you will connect to it as well. We really can't be our best self unless we take care of ourselves first. So Elena is here today to share some tips about setting up an ergonomic workstation, and that is relatable to those of us who sit at a computer all day long. I know that covers a lot of us here, but setting up your workstation, and I'm using air quotes there for when we knit and crochet, because we need to be mindful of how we're sitting as we're doing those things, because, well, if you're like me, you get caught up and you lose track of time, and maybe you sit there for more than you even realize. Well, I think that's where a lot of my problems have started because I am really aware about my posture when I'm sitting at my desk, right? Because it's top of mind. But when I'm sitting on the couch, I'm relaxing, I'm enjoying my craft. I don't really think about the fact that maybe my shoulders are rolled forward or that my feet aren't on the floor. And I I think I've learned through this conversation that I need to be a little more aware of things like that. So we cover that right at the start. We go into some tips and strategies about how you can stretch. And because this topic really isn't covered enough, when you stretch, you also have to strength train so that things work out evenly. And all of this plays together to keep your joints, your hands, your wrist, all of that stress to a minimum so that you can continue to do what you love, that you can crochet and knit as long as you want to. Elena, hi, welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. Thanks for having me. Oh, I am feeling so grateful for you today because I know this topic weighs heavy on our minds as we indulge in a hobby that can seriously put a lot of stress on our bodies. It seems so counterintuitive that it heals our mind in so many ways, but it can really harm our bodies if we aren't careful. So 
thank you ahead of time for all that you're going to share with us today. You're very welcome. I'm happy to be here and share what I can to benefit your audience. Well, you're a real gem because not only are you a crocheter, but you're in the fitness industry as well. And let me just say, I have been looking for somebody like you for so long. As we get started here, how did this journey begin for you and how did it lead you to crochet? That's a great question. Um, So fitness is my passion. I had a career in human resources for about eight years. And I would say about a year into it, I decided to get licensed to teach Zumba fitness. Um, So that was sort of my first instructor opportunity in the fitness industry. And I really went with that for a while. And then slowly over the years, my interest just kept building and opportunities kept coming. And so I learned to teach more fitness formats from there. Over time, I got certified as a group fitness instructor through the American Council on Exercise, as well as the Athletics and Fitness Association of America. And then it led to getting certified as a personal trainer through AFA as well. And then from there, again, just continuing to build my community. I worked in a number of different gyms. Uh, And then as my human resources career grew, it wasn't as great for my schedule. So at a lot of facilities, they want you to teach at certain times and it's not really flexible. And so I was in a position where I was having to give up classes and that made me sad because it was my outlet outside of my full-time job and my passion for it just kept growing and um, really just being able to reach a lot of people through that. So I decided to start my own small business, and that is working it with Elena. And from there, I started renting space at a couple of local dance studios, started out with just one to offer my Zumba classes. And then as that grew and I got trained in other formats and things, I became a certified Tabata Bootcamp instructor, which is a small group training program. And so from there, that just grew as well. Um, I already had somewhat of an audience from the Zumba classes. Uh, But then, of course, there are people that want to focus more on their healthy lifestyle choices and be held accountable more for their workouts um, and also identifying, you know, the right exercises, frequency and duration and intensity to do that, plus the group camaraderie. So that's really where I started to feel more like, okay, I want to go maybe full time with this or maybe take a different look at what I'm doing. But it's difficult in the industry, I would say, because working in human resources full time, the pay for that is totally different than the fitness industry. It was a big pay cut that I was looking at, but um, I just felt like it was my passion and I was more passionate about it than human resources and just wanted to do what I could to get to my ultimate goal. And so lots of conversations and brainstorming with my husband, uh, because obviously that would impact our lives together as well. And so from that point, and this is a random thing, I guess, but relates to the story of how this whole journey came to be of where I am now, uh, we had decided that we wanted to do something a bit unconventional and quit our jobs, leave Sacramento where we live and travel long term indefinitely uh, with a backpack on a budget. So we obviously saved for a while to be able to do that, put off home ownership and starting a family. Uh, decided it was important enough to us. My husband had traveled pretty extensively years ago, and I had barely traveled abroad. And so it was definitely something I felt like I wanted to do in my life. So we went ahead and did that. So in August 2016, 
we left um, and we embarked upon a 16 month journey. So we got back December 2017 last year. Um, so essentially, we traveled across the U.S. Uh, we went through Mexico and Central America overland. We came home for a visit, flew to Thailand, spent some time there, and then flew to Greece, Cyprus, um, spent some time in the U.K. And then we, I'm skipping over some places, but just a general yeah. overview. Um, so we cool. Walked the Camino. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, we walked the Camino de Santiago in Spain, which was like one of my life's greatest challenges. Some people think very idealistically about that walk, but for those that don't know about it, it's about a 500-mile journey and trek across Spain um, with a backpack. And physically, it was very challenging for me. I'm so proud and happy that we finished, yeah. um, but it was such a, um, I guess, life-changing journey. I know that sounds idealistic, but you learn about a lot about yourself through struggling through the physical challenges and the mental and emotional challenges that come along with doing something like that in the elements, but such cool cultural exposure. Um, and then from there, we pretty much flew home and then drove back across the U.S. And so just a really neat experience to immerse ourselves in different cultures around the world, different languages. Um, Spanish was the primary language that we studied while we were gone and immersed ourselves in. And then for me, Greek a little bit while we were in Greece, we did some house and pet sitting. Um, and so in those situations, we would get to stay in a place for free in exchange for watching the person's house and pets. Yeah. So that was a great way to save money and kind of prolong how long we could travel. We did some teaching English in Mexico and in Thailand for short periods of time. And then I was able to teach fitness classes while we were gone. So we, um, one of the more fancy experiences on our budget travel was we got to go to a resort in Oaxaca in Mexico for a week in exchange for me teaching fitness classes twice a day. So I taught two Zumba classes a day there and just met people from different places, different countries. So that was a cool experience to get discounted rates there for that. And yeah, so I think just that whole experience was about going for it, being comfortable with being uncomfortable because <laughs> living out of a backpack and not being fluent in the primary language in different countries um, was a challenge as well as sometimes the overland travel in some countries was challenging because of the terrain, because of um, the mode of transportation and uh, those types of things. But all of it was just a really awesome journey and a really cool way to really get to know different cultures around the world. Um, and then one more thing I wanted to mention, being a Zumba instructor and having it so available around the world, it really was my in to meet locals in different places when I would seek out classes there. And so now I have this network of these instructors that I met along the way that gave me local tips while I was there or just was a friendly face to see when there really wasn't a lot of people that I was familiar with in different places that we were going other than my husband. So, yeah. um, so that's a really cool network. But anyway, coming back from something like that, really important for me to follow my passion. And I knew that before going on the trip and just thought when I come back, I really want to give it a shot and see where it goes. So didn't know exactly what that was going to look like. Uh, but I did find the position that I'm now in since February of this year as the health and wellness program director for a local community center that also has a fitness center there. So I oversee the fitness instructors, the personal trainers, and then the programming. So the group fitness classes, the 
small group training, programming, the personal training programming, as well as I get to teach and train myself, which is really cool. And the latest thing about it that's really neat is that I get to bring crochet there because we're looking at Ah. community classes. So I actually um, went through the certified instructors program because of hearing about it on your podcast, among all the other amazing things (laughs) that I've received from your podcast in my crochet journey. But I'm almost done with that certification. I'm working on my teaching hours right now, and I'm planning to start some community classes there and then teach independently as well. So going back to your question about the crochet journey piece, I started that in, I believe it was March or April 2016, the year of our trip, because I knew that the fitness passion was going to be something that I would focus on when we got back. And as you may have experienced yourself, it kind of, for me, fitness started as a hobby and it grew into something that was sort of like a small business and then a career path for me, similar to how crochet has been for you in many ways. And so we need those things that feel like hobbies, like Certainly, I can still get that from the fitness industry, and I do, but I just knew I needed a different hobby and something that maybe wasn't as active as my (laughs) other hobby and career path, and so I went to a crochet series class. It was three classes at a local yarn shop called Rumpelstiltskin in Midtown Sacramento, Um, and it was really great. Um, I had a great experience there learning from a woman who has crocheted for years and years and years. She's retired from crochet now, uh, but she at the time taught me a lot of things there and that sparked my journey. And so as I traveled, I picked up a crochet hook and yarn whenever I could, um, especially towards the end of the trip where travel experiences weren't as challenging, um, such as when we were in the UK, for example. Uh, And so I found your podcast then um, and I have really fond memories actually of crocheting a blanket that I later sent home to a friend's daughter for a gift um, and just working on that while we were house and pet sitting there and working my way through binge listening to your episode um, (laughs) on the public transportation there as well as while I was working on that blanket. So I have been an avid listener and fan and have gotten so much out of your episodes and from you and your community and thank you so much for all of that. And um, it's, it's really priceless for me and has really helped me grow in my crochet craft and journey as a hobbyist. Oh, wow. That's so surreal to hear somebody say that. And you don't realize the impact that you have on somebody's life until somebody brings that to your attention. And it's, gosh, it's just such a good reality check. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. It motivates me more than you know. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm just lucky to have found your podcast and community and continue to learn and grow from it every week. It's actually part of my (laughs) self-care routine to take time out to crochet in my chair and just listen to your podcast. And it's very relaxing. And I also learn a lot from it. Yeah. Well, it'll be a little interesting to hear yourself on the show. So I'm sure you're looking forward to that. (laughs) Yeah, that'll be great. It'll be an interesting experience. (laughs) Well, let's get to it, shall we? I'm just... yeah like chomping at the bit here to get into it. The first thing that comes to mind for me is your place, (laughs) the place where you sit and crochet, the place where for me and for, for other bloggers and designers who can relate to sitting at a computer for long hours of the day, let's run through your roadmap for setting up a good ergonomic workstation and break it down between those who are just crocheting, that's their hobby. And then maybe Mm -hmm. we can touch on 
the workstation part at a computer because I know that's that's really important too. There's maybe some more hazards there than just sitting and crocheting. So I definitely want to cover both. Yeah, that sounds great. So starting out uh, with the crocheting piece, some of the things I'll touch on are actually things that I've outlined to explain in the setting the ergonomic workstation at like a desk or a chair or computer. So it might help if I start with that and then move into the crochet piece just because it might make more sense. Totally. So starting out, it's very important to set up an ergonomic workstation and especially important if you are for long, prolonged periods of time, I'm seated at a desk or in a chair or really wherever, crocheting or on a computer. So there are different things that you can do to set yourself up properly. And we'll start with the chair since that's the place that you're going to be sitting. So in that chair, you want to make sure that your feet are flat on the floor. So not having your legs dangle, in other words, Um, your shoulders are down and back. So you can get into that position by rolling your shoulders upwards towards your ears and then pressing them down away from your ears and back. And of course, the position that you put yourself in that way, you're very intentionally bringing your shoulders down, they're going to rise up a little bit as you're seated there. um, But that's okay. Appropriate lumbar support. So wanting to make sure your back is supported in that chair, your armrests, making sure that they're at the correct height. So this would be making sure that they don't cause your shoulders to raise up towards your ears, because you're raising your forearms to then sit on top of that those armrests, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, And so there are chairs out there that are specifically advertised and described as ergonomic chairs or chairs that you see that are adjustable. I think an adjustable chair is a really great thing to be able to have because you can adjust those armrests. You can adjust the seat pan um, as well as adjust the lumbar support and the height of the chair. So all things that are important because every body is different. So working in a standard chair, um, which I have tried doing before, didn't work for me. And I experienced pain and discomfort and uh, needed to do something about that. So that included getting a chair that was adjustable in that way. Yeah. Well, that, so, that that's good to know that you like the ergonomic chair. I can't even tell you how many hours I have spent browsing Amazon and reviews and watching YouTube videos about what is the best chair to get. And I'm willing to spend money on it if I'm, I'm sitting in it eight hours a day. Sometimes I hate to admit, but sometimes more than that. And mm-hmm. right now I am in one of those just standard chairs and I think it fits me well. I'm definitely a shorter person and I always ran into the issue of having the seat too long and not Mm -hmm. allowing me to either sit back in it or have my feet touch the floor. So I'm in a chair that fits my petite little body now, but Mm -hmm. I, oh my gosh, it's just, it's so hard. I feel like my hips start to ache after sitting in it for so long. And I don't know if it's a padding issue or if it's a sizing issue, but I am ready Mm -hmm. to send this chair on its new journey. It's, it's not really (laughs) cutting it for me. (laughs) Yeah. I think it, It depends too. Um, We all have different tastes in chairs and different comforts in chairs. So um, just because it says it's an ergonomic chair doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the right fit for you. I think sometimes you might have to try different chairs. And I guess that's hard to do if you're ordering online. But if you can find certain 
types of chairs in stores to just go sit in a bunch of them and adjust them and kind of see how that feels, then I would recommend doing that because it is not a cheap purchase necessarily, but can definitely be something that you're going to be with for a lot of hours in the day, every day. So you want to be comfortable in that chair. And I think it's, it's worth the investment. Your body will thank you. Yeah. Um, But another thing to touch on too, is that, and we'll get into this in the episode a little bit more is that the discomfort and pain in the hips might actually be from sitting prolonged periods of time. So regardless of the type of chair you have, certainly it's important to take regular breaks to get up and walk around, to stretch, those types of things. Um, So I think that can also play a role and help alleviate that situation. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll definitely get there, like you said, because I know I'm not the only one who's not disciplined enough to get up and walk away from my work. So, so, okay, so we've got a good understanding of the chair. What Mm -hmm. about the desk? For the desk, the main thing is the height that you're looking at. So this will affect some of the things I just mentioned about the chair, such as how I mentioned the feet should be flat on the floor. Well, you want to raise your chair so that you are parallel with your forearms to the desk. And if that means that your feet aren't flat on the floor, then a footrest is recommended so that your feet can go flat on the footrest. So this also means that to adjust yourself to the desk height, it might present a need to adjust other items at your workstation accordingly that maybe were positioned in a great spot for when your feet were flat on the floor in your chair, but didn't really take into account the desk height. So I would start definitely with parallel to your forearms and making sure that you have a footrest there. Um, And footrests are pretty cheap. And if you don't buy an actual footrest, I mean, you can really put like books or (laughs) those types of things. Some footrests do, um, and I like this, I've used these before where they're kind of at an angle. And so you can adjust the angle. And I think that's another benefit of the footrests. And it takes into account your desk height. Okay. Real quick question for you. How do you feel about standing desks? That's a great question. I have a resource in the show notes from UC Davis, and they actually outline benefits and drawbacks to that type of a workstation. Um, I think they can be quite expensive. And I also think with those, they can be a benefit, but if you're using it appropriately. So something I thought was interesting that I read about in the UC Davis study was that the people that they looked into and researched on this, they actually found that people ended up sitting most of the time anyway at their standing workstation on like the stool or the chair that goes with that. So I thought that was interesting that the intent was to try to stand more, but that <laughs> but they're leaning. Tending. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so there's that. But then aside from that, my husband actually uses a standing workstation that moves into a sitting one. And so that's great as far as the idea behind it. But there are drawbacks to standing all day as well. So your weight can be shifted from each side of your body, which can create muscle imbalances over time. If that's something you're doing regularly and you're not sort of shifting that weight evenly, maybe you favor one side um, when you lean. So I think that's a potential drawback. You want to make sure you have the right padding and, and shoes underneath to support your body for prolonged periods of time. And so I think the best thing really, if you have one of those workstations is just being mindful of how much time you're standing and how much time you're sitting, because I think research shows that the combination is really what is most beneficial. Okay. 
Good to know. Good to know. Is there anything else that we need to know about the desk and that setup? Yeah. Um, so with the desk setup, there are obviously things that you have on your desk. And so that's the next sort of section I want to touch on is once you have your desk height and you know what that is, you've set up your chair so that it's appropriate for the desk height. What do you do from there? How do you make sure that everything that's on your desk is in the appropriate position ergonomically? Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm thinking monitors, keyboards, mm-hmm. mouse, yep, those sorts of things. Absolutely. You have got it. The first thing is the computer screen if you're working with a computer. So the distance that you're seated from the computer screen should be just beyond your fingertips when your arms are outstretched. So I find in doing ergonomic assessments professionally, like in my HR role or even in the role I have now, I've done that for a coworker who was having an issue. Uh, Most people tend to have their computer screen too far and they need to bring it closer which can feel a little bit awkward at first, I think. I kind of get a weird look from people (laughs) when that happens uh, just because they're used to it being a certain distance. But what people don't realize is the the eye distance from your computer screen from your eyes really makes an impact on if you're squinting and straining your eyes to try to see what's on your screen. Um, That's one thing. So moving them just beyond your fingertips with your arms outstretched is really the ideal ergonomic position. Um, And then in your computer, you can always play with the settings to increase the percentage uh, that your font and everything on your screen shows up as well. So that's also something to look at. Your monitor height. So making sure that they're just below your eyebrows or it if you have one monitor. Some people have two. Mm. Uh, But just below your eyebrows. And you should be scanning down your screen with your eyes and not moving your head and neck up and down. So... I noticed that's something that a lot of people do when I'm looking at their workstation is that their monitor height is too high, usually rather than too low. Um, And so their head and neck are like in this upward position and they're really putting that strain on their neck and upper back and upper shoulder area. Um, And the same can be said when somebody has their monitors too low. So some monitors adjust if you move it up and down and they have a little thing for that. Other monitors don't, and so you would need to consider getting monitor risers, uh, which I like. They're pretty cheap, um, I would say, in the like $10 to $15, $20 range. Or you can use books and stacks of paper. That's also acceptable as well as a starting point just to get yourself set up properly. And I know I wanted to touch on this because I know a lot of people have laptops, and maybe they don't have monitors. So if you're primarily using a laptop, I personally would consider monitors and a keyboard mouse. And the reason for that is it's difficult to set up an ergonomic workstation at a desk with a laptop. For example, the height of the screen can't be separated from the keyboard. So as I'm explaining the proper monitor height, okay, so you raise your laptop onto all these stacks of paper, which actually in my current role, when I got there in February, I had a laptop and no monitor risers. So with someone who understands ergonomics, I was thinking, how am I going to do this? I'll try it for a little bit and before going to my boss and making a case, but like, this isn't going to work. And so I did take stacks of paper and tried to make it so that the screen was just beyond my eyebrows so I could scan down my documents. But then I had the problem of I had to raise up my arms and my shoulders would raise up towards my ears. And that's definitely not 
<laughs> an ergonomic position and a position that we want to be in. And so I definitely noticed a change in my shoulders and my neck and how my back felt even in just a few days working like that. So wow. um, I do have a monitor now and a keyboard and a mouse and made all my case for that. And, and it was worth it. I would say the investment was probably a few hundred dollars. But again, if you're working for prolonged periods of time, it's definitely worth that. If monitors are not for you, um, I would say in the very, very least to consider a, uh, a stand. So they do make stands out there. You can use the stand to sort of tilt your screen a certain way and tilt your keyboard a certain way um, so that it's more ergonomic. So that's also another solution that could be cheaper than purchasing a monitor. But then the other piece is, even if you do that, I would still recommend buying a separate keyboard and mouse because the keys on the laptop, obviously, they're they're different than they are on a, a traditional keyboard. They're a lot yeah. narrower, smaller space to work in. And then the mousing is just awkward if you're using that center sort of um, the pad yeah. um, for mousing with a finger as opposed to mousing with your whole hand. As far as the laptop, that's just another option to go, but I would definitely recommend um, the monitor or monitors and then the, the keyboard and the mouse. Okay. Yeah, that all makes sense. I know I went to an ergonomic keyboard too. I was using just a standard keyboard. I know I'm notorious for letting my wrist sag, like when I use mm -hmm. the mouse and when I sit and type, which I do a lot of. And so I found a keyboard that, oh, it was so hard to get used to <laughs> typing on it, but I really can't use anything else other than this keyboard. It's sort of like raised up in the middle, but it's uh -huh. also separated between the Y and the T key. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's some separation there and it does have like a nice wrist rest so that when I do have my tendency of sagging my wrists, at least I've got a little bit of support there. But then I also mm -hmm. went to one of those, I, I found this mouse that was vertical and I, I, could, I, I could get how it would work. And so I thought, well, I'll give it a try. I know I was having some problem again because my wrist was sagging. So that bone that's uh, sort of at the heel of your hand, like below your pinky, that mm -hmm. would just ache and it would be red. And no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't get my wrist off of the desk. So mm -hmm. I tried this this new mouse and it worked for a while. It was really hard to get used to, but I still felt mm -hmm. like I had issues. Like it really just went from the side of that bone that I was constantly putting pressure on rather than like directly on my wrist where the sort of all those tendons and all the nerves come through. And mm -hmm. so I'm not using that mouse anymore, but I will definitely link to both of those in the show notes, if anybody mm -hmm. wants to check out the keyboard, I stand behind it 100%. It's a Microsoft keyboard. I mm -hmm. think I spent, I don't know, 60 or 70 bucks on it. It was totally worth it. The mouse really wasn't for me, but I'll link to it just in case somebody wants to give it a try. It was interesting. I've still thought about going back to it. It's just mm -hmm. so hard to get used to holding your hand in a completely different position. Yeah, I haven't regularly used any of those. So I haven't used an ergonomic keyboard that's described as the one that you were using. And I also haven't used regularly a mouse that's like an ergonomic mouse that's in a different position. So I am glad you shared your experience with that, um, with your audience. I think that's very valuable. And going back to every person, 
just because something's ergonomic doesn't necessarily mean it's a good fit for every person in that exact model. So sometimes it might take some trial and error to figure out what works for you. Um, But generally with keyboarding and mousing, even if you have just a regular keyboard and a regular mouse, just a couple of tips for people on that. So Mm -hmm. we want to make sure you mentioned kind of like planting of your wrist into the the rests that are on those things. So we want to make sure we're trying to keep a neutral wrist when we're mousing, uh, as well as when we're typing. So even though those uh, wrist rests are there, we don't want to really press into them. We want to be mindful about really keeping that neutral position to kind of avoid and alleviate some of that maybe discomfort or pain that comes from having that for a prolonged period of time repetitively. And then with the keyboard, I noticed that about half people, half the people that I've looked at their workstations have their feet up on their keyboard. You know, the little yeah, peg thing uh-huh. on the back. Um, yeah. And actually that is not an ergonomic position. So it's interesting to me that so many keyboards come with that because what happens is you end up moving your wrist into a non-neutral position. Usually you're tilting your hand upwards. Um, and so in order to keep a neutral wrist and neutral hands, You want those feet down. And so again, your wrist is staying in a neutral position. So I know that can feel a bit awkward as an adjustment for some people because they're used to having those feet up, but really it's the best position um, that you can have your hands in when typing. Makes sense. I can definitely speak from personal experience of the discomfort that that causes over time. I didn't really spend a whole lot of time on the computer before I went full time with Be Hooked and I thought, I'm really young. I'm flexible. I'm healthy. I I don't have to worry about any of this. Like sort of like the I'm invincible attitude. And gosh, what a reality check I've had in the last year just realizing that, wow, over time, and it's not a long period of time either, that some of these things that we sort of dismiss or that I certainly dismissed can really catch up to you and it can affect you and your hobby. So whether you crochet or whether you have a crochet career, or if you're in that demographic of person who works at a desk for their job, it's going to impact your hobby, knitting and crochet. And there's really only one way around that, and that's to be conscious of these things. Absolutely. I agree. So what can we do as as crocheters? Is that kind of where you were thinking about heading now, or is there anything else we haven't covered? I have one more thing um, that also relates to the crocheting. So it's kind of my segue into the crochet topic. Yeah. So one last thing, um, and this could, this is whether you're at a computer or whether you're crocheting, um, would be taking eye breaks. So our eyes can get very fatigued. And I know personally that I'm focused on what I'm doing. I'm not really thinking about giving my eyes a rest, but it really does make a difference. So the recommendation is a 20-20-20 rule. So For every 20 minutes or so, look about 20 feet away for 20 seconds to help prevent eye fatigue. So whether you're at a computer workstation or whether you're looking at the close details in your crochet work, taking that break is so important to prevent that fatigue. And then on a note with crocheting, proper lighting is also important as to not strain our eyes because if it's too dark, we're really having to focus in. So Personally, sometimes when I'm crocheting, it's changing from daylight into the evening. And so I might not always notice uh, when that's happening, but 
until it feels like, oh man, my eyes are tired for some reason. And then I realize, oh, well, it's dark now. (laughs) I need to turn on a light. So I actually recently purchased a, I guess it's a book light, but it also could be used for the details of crocheting or whatever craft that you're doing. And I like it because it clips on. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so then it has three settings. It's an LED light. And so that has really helped me when crocheting in the evening casually while watching TV or listening to a podcast. And it's in my setting that I'm normally working on my crochet projects, uh, makes it more comfortable for me as well. But um, that has helped me. That's just a little tip there, the lighting. Yeah, I think that's another thing that people don't really think about too. I am certainly guilty of crocheting with just the light of the TV and maybe like a small lamp. And yeah, I get to the point where I have one of two options. I can sit there and strain my eyes or I just sort of crochet by feel and not look at my work as much as I should. And that leads to potential problems. So yeah, I I think getting a lamp like that is something that would be a great option for somebody. Absolutely. And I like that you can angle it too, because it is like a book lamp, right? So you can manipulate the, I don't want to say cord, but like the, the headpiece to Mm -hmm. where you want it exactly to go and focus. So I thought that was really helpful as well. And it was like 20 bucks or something like that on Amazon, not a expensive purchase. Okay. Yeah. Definitely worth looking into. Yeah. So you said there were a lot of similarities with how Mm -hmm. somebody should sit at their desk workstation and Mm -hmm. how somebody should sit when they're crocheting. Can you share like what the greatest position is and how we can be mindful of how we're sitting while we're trying to relax? Yes. So specific to crochet, I'm sure some people crochet at a desk and some people crochet in chairs and other different ways as well. So I would say with the workstation, and even if you're sitting in a chair and not at a desk crocheting, the same guidelines apply with the arms. So if you are using armrests or in some cases, pillows, maybe if you're seated at maybe a recliner chair or a regular chair couch or something, you should always make sure that your shoulders are down and away from your ears and not raised up. So similar with the armrest to the pillows, if those pillows make your arms come up and your shoulders rise, then that's not the best position to be crocheting in. I've played with this a little bit myself. I sit in a chair and have um, there are armrests, but I actually find most of the time that I don't want to use my armrests because I do sometimes feel that slight raising. And again, it's very slight. It's not a big thing that's super noticeable, but my shoulders do tend to get tired when I rest my arms on those armrests versus if I just let them hang to my sides in my chair and crochet with my work. Yeah. I I really didn't put much thought into how your shoulders are impacted as far as knitting and crocheting goes. And that was really the first thing that I said to my physical therapist. And he asked me what I do for my job. And so I explained that I would say probably 60% of the time I am on the computer and the other 40% of the time I am sitting somewhere in a more comfortable chair on the couch and knitting and crocheting. And I remember saying to him, but I don't really think I use my shoulders that much while I'm knitting or crocheting. And he was Mm -hmm. like, you would be surprised at how much you really do use them. And he wasn't surprised if that was the culprit. I I think for me, it was a combination of a lot of bad behaviors or a lot of Mm -hmm. bad habits that I have formed over the years. 
And let me just say, it's really hard to work yourself out of those. So being aware of your shoulders, if anyone listening has had that experience of what it feels like to have a shoulder problem, whether that be like a rotator cuff issue or frozen shoulder or there are any number of things that can go wrong, you know how difficult it is. It's like when you throw your back out. You don't realize how much you use your back until you can't. Well, your shoulders mm-hmm. are kind of the same way. It it really does prevent you from doing what you love, from doing your hobby. If your shoulders ache, you feel it when you knit or when you crochet. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we need to keep them in a neutral position. Now for uh-huh. me, I know it's really difficult to hold my shoulders back. I have to constantly think about it. I have to make myself hold my shoulders back. I don't so much have the issue of raising them up so much. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. they mine totally roll forward and they my physical therapist and my doctor called me out on that. He was like, mm-hmm. "I know exactly what your problem is. You're too young for all of these issues, but mm-hmm. you have really bad posture." Your shoulders are really rolled forward. And so I remember after that initial consult going home and thinking, okay, so I need to stand here. I need to roll my shoulders back. And as I'm doing it, I'm, I'm holding with my muscles and I'm after a while, my shoulder muscles are like, Hey, like give us a break. But when I do, they would roll forward and I'm like, no, I can't do that because that's Mm -hmm. causing the problem. And then even when I try to hold my shoulders back and open my chest, it's harder for me to breathe. So I feel like mm-hmm. it's just a whole whole world of problems that's going on as a result of posture. And mm-hmm. I can't help but think that it originated from just bad habits of sitting on the couch and not thinking about whether I'm hunched forward or whether my arms are at the right height and that sort of thing. Absolutely. I think that's a very common experience that people have, whether they're working on a craft or working on their day job at a desk, having that sort of rounded tendency of the shoulders is definitely something I think that's common in our society. Um, So I actually, in our next section about stretching, um, I'm going to address all of that about stretching and strengthening the muscles that we're targeting that kind of have that piece. So stay yeah. tuned in a couple minutes. I'm definitely <laughs> excited for that. I sort of jumped yeah. the gun on that one. <laughs> so no, that's okay. I'm glad you did. It's a great segue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So is there anything else that we mm-hmm. need to keep in mind when we're sitting, like I said, trying to relax? For me, that means like not worrying about these things. Is there a way to make that more of a natural thing, like something that we automatically do Versus something that we have to sit down and say, okay, I've got to figure out how I can sit here comfortably Mm -hmm. yet ergonomically so that I'm not hurting myself in the process. Yeah, I can speak from personal experience on that. Um, It might feel awkward at first because it's not something that you're used to. And when starting any new habit, um, it's not natural sometimes. But I think over time, as you practice these habits and get in the mindset before you're setting yourself up to work and as you're reminding yourself through while you're working, it does become kind of like second nature. So um, I had to do the same thing when I started in my chair crocheting in the evening and figuring out what was working, what wasn't working. And I kind of feel like I have it down for myself now. Um, But it, it definitely takes time. And you'll have to remind yourself as you're working sometimes about the position that you're sitting, especially 
the best reminder, I think, is when we start to feel that discomfort and start to think, okay, wait a second, why am I feeling this? What can I do to adjust that quickly? Um, So I do have one more thing, actually, on that topic of when you're crocheting and you're trying to relax, however you're seated, you want to make sure you're looking straight ahead so that your head and neck are in neutral positions. So just like I explained with the monitor screen that you want to be looking ahead, scanning down your document or whatever's on your screen. When you're crocheting, you also want to be looking straight ahead and then looking down with your eyes only at your project. So this can work even in a recliner. I crochet in a recliner when I'm relaxing myself. And actually, I feel like it helps bring me sort of into that position a little bit easier than if I were just seated in a normal chair. Um, But I've practiced this like while on a plane in an awkward kind of chair as most people feel like when they're on a plane Mm -hmm. Uh, but then also in my recliner position um, and I've noticed that I don't have discomfort in my neck or in my upper shoulders or back uh, when I'm practicing this and as I mentioned on a number of these things it does feel awkward at first because you are not used to doing it that way and you think how can I train myself to do this this feels so weird but you would be surprised over time what a difference it really makes So yeah, just looking straight ahead, neutral head and neck, and then looking down with your eyes only. Okay. I'm glad you brought up the recliner too, because that was something that came up in that initial Instagram post that I made uh, before I released that first episode. Uh, There are a lot of people out there who do have some back problems that prevents them from being able to sit upright. So it's good to know that it's that we can still get our body in a good neutral position in a recliner too, because for me that almost seems counterintuitive, like Mm -hmm. because my feet aren't on the floor, then I can't get everything else in order, but it's good to know that that's not the case. Yeah. I, I don't, I wouldn't say it's the best ergonomic position compared to other positions that you can be in. And I personally have not done a lot of research about working long periods in a recliner chair. Um, so I don't want to speak too much on that particular topic, but I will say just from my own experience of crocheting for a recliner for like an hour at a time or so, I have found these tips sort of helpful about how to best set myself up in that particular type of chair. So with the arm raising or not, with the armrest or not, and then um, looking straight ahead and scanning down my work. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, I definitely do want to spend a lot of time on the stretches and strength training, because I know that that's a a very important piece of the puzzle. So let's move into that. And I I know you have so much to speak on as far as that goes. Yeah, absolutely. So I think a good place to start generally just on this topic is that we want to identify exercises and stretches that strengthen and or lengthen our targeted muscle groups. So Generally speaking, we need to strengthen weaker muscles and stretch tighter muscles, which intuitively makes sense, right? Yeah. So common tight muscles, which is where we'll start, are hips, the hamstrings, which are in the back of the leg, the upper back leg, the chest and front of the shoulders due to prolonged sitting and working at a computer or even not on a computer on detailed items we focus on intently, such as our crochet work. So Brittany, you mentioned the rounded shoulders look that kind of naturally happens for a lot of people over time. This is definitely a cause of that is looking intently at our work. Mm. And so a stretching routine is really important. And 
before getting too far into stretching, I just also want to say that taking breaks from what you're doing is equally important as stretching. So if you're sitting for prolonged periods of time, maybe that means every half an hour or every hour, you just get up and stand up and walk around the room or go out for a walk or something like that, just to kind of break up the sitting and standing. But you can also incorporate stretching into that routine. So just as a general guideline, you want to hold each stretch for about three to five breaths or 15 to 30 seconds per stretch. Now you can do this in between rounds or rows or again, as little as every 15 to 20 minutes, whatever timeline that you choose is totally up to you and what works with you. But you want to make sure that you're mindfully thinking about taking those breaks. And that, again, also helps with the eye fatigue piece that we talked about as well and not being in a static position for too long seated. Yeah. Okay. So I know that I am definitely not great at taking breaks. I lose track of time, to be quite honest. And I know Mm -hmm. a lot of people are, are in that position too. One of the things that I have tried using that has really, really helped me. I mentioned it in that previous episode, but just in case you didn't hear that one, I Mm -hmm. want to mention it one more time. There's an app called Tide and it's basically just a timer. I mean, it it does many things. It has like a focus uh, section and sleep section so you can actually record your sleep and that sort of thing. But I use it primarily for that timer and you can Mm -hmm. set it for 20 minutes, 15, 30, however many minutes you want to be focused. And that was a good reminder for me that okay, I need to put it down for just a couple minutes, maybe Mm -hmm. get up, walk around, do whatever. And so that was a really big help for me as far as losing track of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that tip. I think that's great and would be a recommendation for me as well that if you lose track of time or it's hard for you to remember to get up and move or get up and stretch and take a break, then absolutely setting a timer for that mindfulness is a great tip. Um, And something that just came to mind as you were saying that I know that they do make activity trackers like a Fitbit, for example, that do a multitude of things. But specifically what I thought of when you were talking, Brittany, is that there is at least one model I know of that kind of um, if you're wearing a wrist one, a wrist Fitbit, for example, Mm -hmm. it does buzz you when you've been sitting for too long. Now, I haven't used this one myself, but I've had friends that have used it and have explained sort of how that piece works. And It was effective for them because it's an automatic reminder of, oh, I need to get up and move now. (laughs) Yeah, I can speak from personal experience on this one. I'm sure anybody has seen any of my videos, you've seen my Fitbit. I've worn it for now. Granted, I've had different Fitbits over the years, but for the last five or six years, I have had some kind of Fitbit on my arm. Right now, I have the Alta HR, and this particular one does do what you were saying you can set it up through the app so it doesn't have to buzz you if you don't want it to, but it will let you know if you've been sitting for too long and it's just two really short buzzes. Sometimes you you may have actually heard that in one of my videos because it's a little difficult to edit out some that vibrating noise, but it's minor. It's not anything crazy. It's not an alarm bell or anything like that, but it is mm-hmm. a nice little gentle reminder that, hey, you've been sitting for too long. Let's get up and move around. Great. Yeah, I think that's great that you've had experience with that and can speak to that and and recommend it as well. Yeah, I love my Fitbit. I 
gosh, I don't know where I would be without it. I love the sleep tracking that this one does because it is the HR model. It does Mm -hmm. record the heart rate. And so I get some Mm -hmm. sleep insights and that has helped me really just improve my sleep. It's helped me with getting up and moving around. There's even like a water thing, which I'm, I'm not super great at remembering to drink enough water throughout the day. So it really has helped me a ton. I, I just love my Fitbit. Awesome. Yeah, I think it's a great tool. Yeah. So what else about stretching? Yeah. So I did create a blog post um, that we'll link to in the show notes that illustrates and describes a number of stretches that I think are applicable for crocheters and just the general population as well. Specifically, the wrists and the forearms, shoulders, neck, upper back, chest, and then moving down to the lower body, the hamstrings, the glutes, uh, the hips, the quads. And then on the blog post, I do have photos and descriptions for each one, as well as I recorded a guided stretching video that's like five to seven minutes in length for your audience. Um, And so I hope that that is helpful for maybe anybody who is not sure really what stretches to do or what parts of the body to address in a routine. Yeah, that is wonderful because those are the the types of things that we can't really discuss here on audio, but it's great to have that resource for people to go to to either see a photo or even mm-hmm. better watch the video. So I'll have that linked in the show notes. Definitely check that out at the end of the episode. Awesome. And then other things regarding stretching, you can utilize tools to help you with stretching. Uh, for example, there are straps out there. You may have seen them used in yoga commonly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's resistance bands, yoga blocks, foam rollers, and these are all to enhance your experience with stretching. So just one example, if you're reaching towards your toes while you're seated and your legs and arms are extended, mostly straight, if you can't touch your toes or get close to them, if you wrap a strap or resistance band around your feet and then hold on to the ends, that enhances your stretch and makes that stretch more accessible to you. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm thinking about that now and I can't really I can't reach my toes. I'll just be honest. I stretch every day and I haven't reached that milestone yet. <laughs> mhm. So maybe the strap could be a great uh a tool to help you kind of get there and you can walk your hands down the strap towards your feet a little bit more as you're feeling more comfortable and like you're you're getting closer. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'll definitely have to try that. I do have some of those resistance bands. I get it's not like the rope. It's not the one that you buy in the store. It's what you get at the physical therapist. So mm-hmm. they're basically like rubber, big thick rubber bands that mm-hmm. I do some stretches with. So I'll have to use those for stretching too. I've just been using those really for like strength training. Hmm. Yeah, I think that could be great for stretching as well, um, similarly to how a strap could be used. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. And then a yoga block I mentioned. um, So one thing that could be helpful with this is if you are standing up and you're hinging at your hips and trying to touch your toes or touch the ground or something, if you set up the yoga block, maybe your goal is to touch that yoga block instead and you can press into that block and then stretch the back of the legs that way. So that would enhance that stretch for somebody who maybe can't reach their toes or get close to it. I'm curious, what do you think the most important stretches for somebody who is crocheting for long periods of time? Is it the wrists? Is it the hips? Because they've probably been sitting for so long. Like if somebody could just do one stretch and that was 
well, them getting into the habit of stretching. Mm -hmm. Is there one stretch that's more important? You know, uh, that's a hard question because I would say there's at least a few I would, I would recommend to somebody. Um, so I can quickly go through a few of those. And these are things that I do myself when I'm crocheting. So for the wrist, um, and these are in the, the photo and video as well, all of these I'm about to mention. For the wrist, it would be wrist rolls. So you're taking your hands out in front of you, and then you bring your fingertips towards one another as your palms face towards you. And then you roll rotate so that your palms are facing away from you and the fingers are apart from you. So this is kind of like a dynamic or moving stretch that you can do um, to help with your wrist. And then you rotate the opposite way. So towards and away from you with those fingertips and the palm facing and going away from you. Another one that I do is for the wrist flexor and wrist extensor muscles. So in other words, for one of them, you're going to outstretch one arm and your palm is facing away from you, your fingertips are facing towards the ground, Mm -hmm. Uh, arm is mostly straight, elbows just slightly bent, you're going to take your opposite hand and press down on the inside of those fingertips a little bit. So there's one stretch that can help as well. Of course, thinking about your shoulders being down away from your ears. And then you want to flip that. So your palm is now facing towards you and your fingertips are facing towards the ground. The front of your hand is facing away from you. And then you're going to gently grab onto your fingertips and gently pull down um, as you pull the fingertips toward you. So doing those stretches uh, and make, making sure, of course, that you do them on both sides of the body, on the right arm and the left arm. Um, and then because we've talked so much about the rounding of the shoulders that happens naturally uh, when we're focused on something intently, taking those fingertips and placing them behind the head. And so in doing that, Again, your shoulders are down away from your ears. You're not grabbing onto your head, but just lightly touching the back of your head. You're stretching the front of the shoulders and the chest, which are muscles that are typically tightened and shortened when you're um, hunched forward doing any type of work. So I would recommend that as well. Um, So that's sort of the, the upper body kind of piece is just a few quick things that you can do as a break from crocheting. And you can do this while you're seated too. I do this while I'm still in my chair between rows or just every so often. Um, But then if we're wanting to address the fact that we're sitting for a long period of time, um, as far as stretches that would be for like the hips and the low body, something that you could do would be grabbing onto a chair or something sturdy if you need to, because some of these involve a little bit of a a balance challenge, so to speak. Um, You would grab onto the back of one of your feet um, to stretch your quads and the front of the hip. Um, And so one knee is bent and you're pulling the back of that heel towards your glute. And then the other leg is you're standing on that leg. Leg is mostly straight with the knee slightly bent there. So again, front of the leg as well as the hip flexor. And then opposing muscle group would be the hamstrings, which are in the back of the leg. So then to do that stretch, you would... Um, Again, if you need to hold on to a chair or a wall or something stable to help you balance, you can do that, or you can kind of let that other arm go free and uh, balance that way with that challenge. We take one arm out and that same leg out. So the heel is pressing into the ground here and toes are facing up. You're going to hinge at the hips with a flat back and reach towards or touch your toes on that one side. And you might also feel a little bit of a sensation in the low back as well to stretch that, which also gets 
tight as we are sitting for long periods of time. Um, and then one more move I would throw in there for the, for the low body would be for um, the hip and the glute specifically. So again, this is also one where you might want to hold on to something. Um, this is, I would say of the two exercises I just described, this third one is sort of the most of a balance challenge that I find some people have um, a little bit of an issue with. So definitely grabbing onto something if you need. You would take one of your legs and lift it with a knee bent. And then you're sort of rotating so that you're placing the outside of the ankle above the opposite knee. So it's going to rest just above the knee on that opposite thigh. And then you're opening up that hip and in the glute as well. Um, so you can lightly press down on the thigh of the, the leg that's bent um, and the knee is out facing towards the side. And you basically like sit back in your chair from there. So if you're holding on to something, you stay holding on to it. If you want that balance challenge, you let go of both hands. Um, they're just kind of resting in the air uh, or you can have the hands reached out in front of the body overhead, mostly straight, shoulders down away from the ears. Okay, awesome. So good to know. And, and just a reminder too that that is in your blog post. So you have the photos of yes. those and the video. So yes. yes, don't gloss over. Definitely check those out. Yes. And have have so we've covered a lot on stretching. Is there anything mm -hmm. on strength training that mm -hmm. we perhaps need to be aware of as we're doing these stretches? Yeah. So as far as strengthening, you're not necessarily getting the strength training in with the stretches. Um, so the stretches are to elongate the muscles that are usually tight. So with strengthening, we're wanting to address the muscles that are typically weaker. So just to give you an example, the tight muscles of like the front of the chest and the shoulders, the opposing muscle group is back of the shoulders and upper back. So those are usually weaker muscles. So we want to strengthen the muscles of the back of the shoulders and the upper back. Generally, I would say with the exercises that you're doing, you want to perform eight to 12 repetitions of each exercise, which equal one set, for example. If you're new to, to strength training, um, that's definitely something recommended. And then you can progress from there as your abilities progress. So maybe that means doing two sets of eight to 12 reps or three um, or lifting heavier weight with less repetitions if you're training for strength versus endurance. So different things to think about there. Generally, for a strength training routine, uh, whether for muscle endurance or muscle strength, wanting to work all opposing muscle groups is recommended. So that would be, for example, the biceps in front of the arms. If you work those, you want to make sure you're going to also work on the triceps, which is the opposing muscle group on the other side of the arms. If you work the chest in front of the shoulders, you also want to work the back and so on and so forth throughout the body. You can use equipment such as traditional weight room equipment. If you've never used that before, aren't sure what to do, I would recommend consulting with a personal trainer at a fitness facility that can show you how, or you can also refer to illustrations and instructions on the machines themselves if they're available to learn how to use them safely and as intended. But that's in a traditional sort of gym fitness facility environment. If you're working out your own at home, there are definitely tools you can use and resources that you have available to yourself, such as the resistance bands that I mentioned with the stretching. You can also use those for strengthening. My favorite personally is a figure eight tubing. 
Uh, and I use that for a lot of my upper body exercises when I'm training for muscle endurance. Uh, you can also use dumbbells, weighted dumbbells or barbells. There is the importance of wanting to strengthen opposing muscle groups, but it's recommended to focus on muscles that are weaker to strengthen them as well. I mentioned muscle strength versus muscle endurance, so I just want to make sure I define that for everybody um, so that everyone understands what the difference is. So muscle strength is like the power that you have in the exercise. So an example would be the heaviest weight that you can lift for one repetition or the heaviest weight you can lift to where you're fatigued by the end and can barely lift when you're getting to that last eighth rep or 12th rep, depending on how many that you're doing mm -hmm. versus muscle endurance is how long a muscle can last doing an exercise. So typically that involves a lower weight and more repetitions involved in that. So I hope that makes sense. With the recommendations, the American Heart Association recommends moderate to high intensity muscle strengthening activity at least two days a week. Uh, which for most people is hard to even to even get one day in. I admit that even I struggle with that. Um, but it's very important because as we age, we automatically lose muscle mass every year. So I don't have the statistic off the top of my head, but I want to say it's around like 3% or something after age 30. Oh, wow. So you can definitely uh, do things to try to change and reverse that and strengthen endurance training is one of those ways. Okay. And just to tie it all together too, you wouldn't recommend one without the other, right? Stretching mm -hmm. and strength training because it's so yeah. much easier for us to stretch, right? That's a feel good thing. <laughs> it's easy right. to do that. And strength mm -hmm. training is not so fun. It It is challenging. So mm -hmm. it's easy to do one without the other, but it's it's not really doing its job right? If we mm -hmm. only do one. I think the important takeaway for maybe people who don't want to keep up a, an intense regular routine and are just looking for like, what is the maximum benefit I can get out of incorporating some strength training would be that recommendation that if you are in a position where you are experiencing the tightening of some muscles and the weakening of other muscles, like the example I gave about the front of the shoulders and the chest and the rounded back, because those muscles are tight, and then the upper back and shoulders are not strong enough, then I would start there with maybe targeting the muscle groups for your feeling or affecting your body. Yeah. And I, I would say that since most of us listening here are knitters and crocheters, that that's mm -hmm. probably where we would want to put our focus first, because we're likely listening because we have some kind of issue that we want to correct. And, mm -hmm. and it's probably related to one of those things. And so, yeah, shoulders, hands, and wrists, I know, are definitely a big pain point for people who knit and crochet for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So we've talked a lot about the workstation, the proper setup, how we need to sit. We've talked about stretching and strength training. And we're tying it all together. Now, this is definitely a longer episode than we would normally have, but I'm going with it. So mm -hmm. I know I struggle and I am not alone in maintaining this routine. I Before we actually hit record, I was telling you about how I get to the point where I'm, I'm on it. I'm gung-ho about some things. Like for me, I am really conscious about what I eat, what I put into my body, 
because I feel a direct effect from that. Now, if I go off and I have, and believe me, I love me some like boneless chicken wings. Like I love that. That's one of my favorite foods, but I feel sick after I eat that. And that almost instant feedback puts me in check and says, hey, you can go off and you can do this thing, but you're going to pay for it later. And I don't really get that feedback from stretching and strength training. It's such a long process. I don't get any feedback that I need. So it's hard for me to maintain that aspect of my lifestyle, something that I know is really important to incorporate, especially because of the issues that I have had, but it's still Mm -hmm. so tough. And I would love to know your perspective on establishing and maintaining some type of schedule and, and routine. I think that's great. I love this topic because I think it is a struggle for the majority of people. Everybody has, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but most people, when they're talking about trying to establish new healthy living routines for their lifestyle, they have good intentions, but it is really challenging sometimes to maintain those things when honestly our lives are busy and we have other priorities. And for some people, it just falls to the wayside. So Um, I definitely have some tips to where you can maintain a sustainable schedule with physical fitness, daily movement, and just healthy lifestyle routines for wellness. So I'd love to share that. Yeah, I am all ears. So we know crocheting can be a very sedentary behavior as much as we love it. And so we've talked about in this episode how important it is to take breaks to have mindful movement throughout the day. So important. As far as Physical activity recommendations, the American Heart Association recommends 30 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic activity at least five days a week. So that's 150 minutes total. And this is for overall cardiovascular health. Or an option to that is at least 25 minutes of vigorous aerobic activity at least three days a week. So that's 75 minutes total. Or some combination of both moderate and vigorous activity. So different ideas of what you can incorporate here are walking, jogging, biking, steady state exercises, meaning you're maintaining a pretty steady heart rate throughout your exercise. But then there's also interval training and something that's popular that I teach is high intensity interval training. Now, don't be intimidated by this. I know the (laughs) verbiage sounds like, oh, I must be super fit to do this. No, there are levels for every single person. An example would be a squat. Somebody could do a squat in their range of motion that's comfortable for them, but a little more challenging. Somebody could take that up a notch by trying to reach towards their toes and then lift up to the sky, maybe reaching, um, lifting onto the balls of their feet. And then someone could take it up that next notch and touch the floor with their fingertips, jump up into the air and touch towards the sky. So that's sort of the idea behind that. And with the interval training, specifically high intensity interval training, you're doing your hardest effort for a certain period of time with a rest period in there. So let's say eight rounds of that squat exercise, 20 seconds, your hardest effort you can do safely for your body that day with 10 seconds of rest in between. So your heart rate, your heart rate's definitely going to get up there with that. You're spending less time on the exercise, but it's more intense. So you're burning more calories, your body's working harder in that. So that's kind of just a examples for walking, for example, which is steady state versus like a high intensity interval training and the difference between maybe moderate intensity activity versus a more vigorous activity. Yeah. And then 
something that you might consider, um, you might want to know, well, how do I know how hard I'm working? There's a couple of ways. One of them is more mathematic. So you can actually calculate your target heart rate to monitor your intensity, which it's basically the number 220 minus your age is your maximum heart rate. And your target heart rate during moderate intensity exercise is typically for most people around 50 to 70% of your maximum heart rate. Vis vigorous physical activities more around 70 to 85. For some people, calculating that is difficult. There is a chart in the show notes, so you can actually look at um, your calculation and kind of see what your range would be. That's easier than doing the math yourself. Yeah. Um, and then another way that's much easier is the rate of perceived exertion. So just on a scale of one to 10, assess how hard you feel like you're working. And that's different for every body. It's not as mathematical, but certainly it does give you a gauge for your intensity level when you're working out. And maybe you compare, how am I feeling when I'm doing a light jog versus if I'm doing a high intensity training type of a thing? Yeah. Um, and then that is more on the exercise piece. I understand not everybody is interested in setting something like that up, but I just wanted to share the recommendations um, and sort of what ideas you can gather from that. But I did want to move into also tips for incorporating more movement into each day, because I think that's applicable for everybody, really, when yeah. thinking about how to live a healthy lifestyle for wellness. So one idea, and I'm sure people have heard this uh, before, parking further from your destination. So rather than taking that first parking spot and waiting for a car to leave next to the entrance to Target, maybe you're parking on the other end of the parking lot with the goal that I'm just going to get more steps in my day. Mm-hmm. And or fewer door dings. Maybe, yes, exactly. <laughs> I park way yes, far so out, true. so I don't have door dings. <laughs> yes, that is so true. Um, and then taking the stairs instead of a ramp. So I have that option on a regular basis. I'll tell you that I don't always take the stairs, but it's a thought that goes through my mind that at least I'm thinking I should probably take those stairs instead of taking this ramp over here. <laughs> An elevator, escalator, etc. Again, taking the stairs instead. The one we've talked about is getting up and moving for every certain period of time while you're having prolonged periods of sitting. So again, whether that's every 15, 30 minutes, hour, whatever you decide. Um, and then stretching or performing an active movement during commercials while watching TV, um, or even when you're watching TV and there's not a commercial, maybe you do it for a period of time. Great for a podcast as well. When you're grocery shopping, maybe walking through every aisle of the grocery store, which obviously means you'll be at the store longer, but... <laughs> you do get more steps in that way. It's a really easy way. Um, and then taking walking breaks during the day. If you work in a traditional office, maybe if you get a 30 minute lunch, you're quickly eating your lunch for 15 minutes and you're getting outside for those other 15 minutes to take that walking break or could even be broken up into honestly, like a five or 10 minute increment. It, any movement is better than no movement. And so I think while we have information about recommendations of exercise and physical activity, the truth really is, we just need to be moving. So thinking yeah. about different ways that we can just continue to incorporate movement in our day. Yeah, that makes sense. Those are some really good tips. Great. I hope it's helpful. Mm -hmm. And then goals for weight loss or maintenance. I know that that is something on the mind of maybe some of your listeners. I know it is for the general population. And I just wanted to briefly touch on this principle so it depends on simply energy consumption versus energy expenditure. So calories in versus calories out, 3,500 calories equals about a pound. So to lose a pound a week, you would need a deficit of 500 calories a day. 
You can play with different things. For example, in your workouts, it's called the fit principle, the frequency of your exercise. For example, how many times a week that you're exercising, the intensity level. So we talked a little bit about moderate to higher intensity exercise. Lower intensity exercise could also be included in that. The time, so like the length of time that you're exercising, playing with that. Typically, if you're working out at a higher intensity, you are going to be working out less time because your body just can't sustain that level. Uh, whereas maybe with a steady state exercise like walking or running, you can do that for a longer period of time. Um, and then switching up the type of exercise, keeping your body guessing. So that might be trying different group fitness classes, changing between maybe your weight training or um, your resistance resistance training for strength and endurance versus your cardiovascular workout versus your stretching, all of those things can definitely impact the results on your body. And then another piece that cannot be ignored is the food logging piece, I think, and paying attention to what you're putting in your body. So yeah. being aware, at least through that food log, I know it's hard for people to keep a food log on a daily basis for a, a long period of time. But even if you can do that and implement it for a few days just for awareness, it does help hold us accountable to reaching our goals. And it makes us pay attention to our portion sizes, if we're eating when we're hungry or when we're not hungry, if there's other reasons like stress that we might grab certain foods, mm -hmm. um, making smarter choices, for example, a plain almond butter versus peanut butter that has added sugar. I think that working through the nutrition piece as well as the physical activity piece, I've heard many times and have seen through research that actually the, the food piece, the nutrition piece is a bigger piece of that weight loss or maintenance puzzle than the physical activity piece. It's something like 70% of the estimate. So um, when you're looking at that kind of ratio, it does make you think more of maybe what we need to be paying attention to as we're looking at losing or maintaining our weight. Mm -hmm. um, I think also cross training is important. The muscle strength, muscle endurance, cardio, balance and flexibility. You can do this through, I mentioned group exercise classes, small group training. So small group training is typically working with a personal trainer, but you're kind of sharing that cost of that session among people. So um, in my facility, I work at it. It's usually anywhere from three to six people in a small group training environment. You could do semi-private training where it's two people um, and then personal training where it's one-on-one. -on -one. And then I think tips as far as staying active, finding a workout buddy and activities you enjoy, I think will really help you stick to your goals long-term. So for example, if you try running and you hate it or it just doesn't resonate with your body, then you don't have to do that. There are so many other things to choose from. Um, like a Zumba class or like some kind of group strength training or endurance class or a cardio class or another dance class. There's just so many options out there that you should not feel like you have to do something that you just don't enjoy. You want to look forward to that time that you're putting into your workouts. Not to say it's always going to be an easy walk in the park. It should challenge <laughs> you, but something that you enjoy is definitely going to help you stick with it longer. And maybe if a gym environment is not a fit for you, then maybe look into a meetup group or something. I've definitely seen on meetup where there are maybe running groups or walking groups or hiking groups. Or when I used to teach my Zumba classes independently, I had a group on there for people who wanted to come drop in for a class outside of a gym. So I think there's a lot of options out there in this day and age to make it a social thing as well. 
Yeah, I think that's that's a great thing too. And I know so many people can relate to that because myself included, I don't feel like I found my my thing that I look forward to. And, and perhaps that's why I struggle so much to maintain this new lifestyle that my physical therapist is saying you really need to do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe you make incentive for yourself. So if I exercise three days of this week for 30 minutes, then if I do that for the entire month, I get every single week of that month, three workouts in, I'm going to treat myself to a pedicure, something that's not related to like splurging on an ice cream sundae or something, but something (laughs) that will be in line with your health and wellness goals. Um, And I think that can help too, is just having something positive to look forward to and sort of incentivize you to meet those goals and stick to them. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you've given us so many good tips for so many, so many different areas. I feel like we're covering like the entire realm of healthy lifestyle right now. So I I know there are a couple of other things that you wanted to mention too. And I I know I've sort of already alluded to this too, not drinking Mm -hmm. enough water. Yes. That's my (laughs) next thing. This is perfect segue. So you want to aim for at least eight, eight ounce servings of water per day. More if you're exercising, because obviously you're consuming water and expending that water through sweat in your exercise. But I would say for the general population, eight, eight ounce servings of water per day is great. And the small group training program I run, Tabata Bootcamp, I learned this really cool tip that I share with my small group training participants, where if you have eight bracelets, like they can be these cheap jelly bracelets or any bracelets that you have in your closet. And you put them all on your left hand or your left wrist to start the day. And throughout the day, every time you have an eight eight ounce serving, you move one bracelet from your left wrist to your right wrist because you're doing the right thing. Yeah. (laughs) So it's a little cheesy, um, but for (laughs) some people it really works. For other people, it's finding a water bottle that has the measurements listed on it so that when you're filling your bottle, let's say you have a 32 ounce bottle, you know, okay hey, I need to fill this up twice throughout the day and drink all of it by the time I'm going to bed. Um, So those are pretty much my tips around water. I would say if water is too plain and boring and whatever, you're not motivated to drink a lot of it, then maybe add lemon or maybe add an herb um, like mint or something that you infuse it with. Something that will motivate you to drink it regularly. Uh, But I would say water is the best thing you can drink. Plain tea unsweetened is fine. Plain coffee unsweetened is fine as well. Um, Those are probably the main recommendations about uh, beverage consumption because there are a lot of calories and sugars that are hidden in our beverages that we drink. So just something to be aware of. Um, And on that note, making sure you're paying attention to the nutrition labels and the serving sizes on the food and the drinks that you're consuming. Yeah, that was a big eye-opener for me when I started doing that. Yeah, it's definitely an eye-opener for most people, I think. They don't realize that, oh, I ate a quarter tub of hummus. And it's like, well, if you look at the serving size, (laughs) two tablespoons is about this many calories. And so, yeah, you might want to look at that. (laughs) Right, right. And you're thinking hummus, well, that's probably more healthy than some of the alternatives. But if you overindulge, maybe not so much. Yes, I think moderation in all things, even dessert. I mean, I enjoy a small, tiny piece of dark chocolate most days of the week. And that's okay. It's a small piece. And it has health benefits as well. So yeah, portion size. Um, And then you talked about sleep. So I wanted to just touch on that briefly as well. Aiming for seven to eight hours of sleep per night is a good goal to have. 
ways that you can wind down at the end of the night. And I know this is a, a challenge for most people, including myself at times, is winding down without a screen. Um, so the artificial light that's on our tablets and our computers can inhibit our sleep, actually. Um, there are covers that you can buy that kind of block out the bad artificial lighting on that piece. Um, but if you don't have that, I would recommend at least 30 minutes to an hour before bedtime, not using that tablet or phone or screen, um, TV, those types of things. I think podcasts are great personally, as well as crocheting <laughs> or yeah. some other activity that you're doing that is not inhibiting your sleep. Yeah, that makes sense. I know I have heard that too. I read a book a few months ago called Sleep Smarter by Sean C Stevenson. And that's such an incredible book. He has an entire chapter devoted to screens and how they really affect us. And when I started implementing what I was reading, I really could tell a difference. Yeah, absolutely. That's great that you could tell just by implementing that. Yeah, I know sleep is one of those things that it really is one of my favorite things to do. So reading a Me book too. and learning ways to sleep better and having an excuse to go to sleep is really up my alley. So I, yeah. uh, and, and like I said, the, the Fitbit for the tracking of sleep too has been really helpful. So you can go full circle with all of this. I mean, you can take this episode for what it is of an entire idea of, or just a brainstorming session of ways that we can not only improve our health and wellness as knitters and crocheters for hobby in terms of posture and just being generally aware of how long we're doing that to those of us who are working at a computer and, and just taking it full circle because it's really important to touch on all of these areas to be your best self. I know that's one thing I'm learning. I have a tendency of just implementing one thing at a time because that's sort of what I can handle to focus on. But as I'm adding these new things, as I'm adding in, you know, so I've, I've worked on my sleep for a while, I started adding in healthier eating habits, uh, trying to implement drinking more water and doing all of these things, I can tell a difference that as I'm adding them, I, I just feel that much better. So yeah, I just want to, yeah, I, I want to encourage everybody to, although we've talked about a lot of things, maybe just focus on one thing that you can try today and focusing on the positive changes that that has that you feel when you do that, because I know that that's going to be a motivator to keep doing that thing and implementing more things. I agree. I think that's great. And just kind of one final tip on that note is this may be called different things to different people as you've come across it, or maybe you've never heard of it, but I certainly implement it when I'm working with my students and clients in my trainings is SMART goals. So even if you have, like Brittany said, one goal, maybe it's that you want to incorporate stretching, breaking it down to how it's specific, measurable, attainable. It's, oh, I'm, I'm losing the, <laughs> all of the, the pieces of this, but um, I can definitely provide that in the notes as well. Um, it's realistic um, and then it's time oriented. So basically you're taking a goal and you're taking it through this like five-step test of how you're going to achieve that goal specifically. So what is realistic for you? What are the exact steps you're going to take in order to make sure that you reach that goal? Maybe it's 
okay, I want to stretch every day. I'm going to set a timer for every half an hour of my work so I can get up and move or get up and stretch. Um, that would be a great supporting reason. So I think setting up smart goals really helps to hold us accountable to what it is that we say we want to do. Something to go back at that's very logical so that if what we're doing is not working, we can go back to that list and say, okay, am I doing these steps that I said I was going to take in order to make sure that that goal happens? And then if not, looking at, okay, I'm either going to commit again, recommit to doing this, or maybe this isn't a realistic goal for me. Maybe I need to rethink that and revisit these steps. Great tip. So, man, it has been such a wonderful conversation. I have learned so many things from you. I Honestly, I can't wait to go back and listen again as I edit because I feel like there are still little bits of information that I didn't hear the first time around. So thank you so much for sharing so much with us. I think we're definitely going to hit a record here on the longest episode unless we do end up breaking it into two. (laughs) But before we go, I want to give people the chance to connect with you because you are a wealth of knowledge. And as you said, we need a support group. We need to have somebody who understands us. And, you know, perhaps if somebody wants to check out the resources that you have available, then, you know, maybe they can find that support that they need. So where can people go to learn more about you and what you have going on? Yeah. So my website, which is not totally updated, I'm still in the process of doing that since our trip, but it's workinitfitness.com. Um, and then work in like I-N, not I-N-G, if that makes sense. And then you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at working it with Elena, E-L-E-N-A. And then also on Instagram and Facebook, I recently, since I was sharing so much of my crochet work and sort of wanted to separate the crochet from the fitness stuff that I'm doing, I have a new Instagram handle and Facebook page and it's E-N Edwards Crochet. Awesome. Okay. So I will include links to that in the show notes, as well as all of the resources that we talked about, including that stretching post with the video and that sort of thing. So people can head over there to check out all of that information now. And of course, continue the conversation there. There's a a comment section right there on that page. We can chat about it and we can learn from each other. We can motivate each other. So thank you again. It has been so much fun. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to speak with you and share with your audience. All right. Well, thank you so much for sticking it out all the way to the end. I know your hands and your wrist, your joints are really going to thank you. I also want to thank you for having an open mind for this sort of topic and for really understanding where I'm coming from with this type of episode. If there's one thing I've learned over the years of being a crocheter first, just as my hobby, and even having my own business, if I don't take care of myself, then there is no way that I can do what I need to do. Resources are finite. You run out of gas. Your battery needs to be charged eventually. Your body is no different. It needs fuel. It needs water. And it needs your care. So the care specifically being the things that Elena talked about. And yeah, I know there's no way that we can really implement all of these things. And so I would challenge you today to just pick one. That's the approach that I took. And I'm a work in progress. I have been going through this, gosh, trying to be my best self for more than two years now. And I'm just adding it a little by little. 
I'm not perfect at any of it, but I try and I, I hold myself accountable because that's how I like to work. I, I know that in order for me to stick to a new habit, I have to drive myself internally. You might be completely different. And if so, that's okay. Sometimes we need accountability from an outside source, from a loved one or a friend. And if that's the way you're motivated, then by all means, find that person. So your action step for today is to choose one thing that we talked about today, whether that be setting up your ergonomic station, whether you make some changes to your desk at work or at home, and also maybe trying to be more aware of how you're sitting when you're crocheting or when you're knitting. That could be your one thing. And I think you'll really feel the result of those choices. You could also try something like Elena talked about in terms of stretching and doing a little bit of strength training. I definitely recommend that post that she put together for us. By the way, she did that specifically for you so that you were able to see what she was talking about. And Elena, gosh, thank you so much for doing that because you need a video and you need to have some pictures to know that you're doing it right. So check out her post. I'll have that linked in the show notes page. And to get there, just type in behookedcrochet.com slash session 090. Whatever it is, choose one thing today and try it. Just implement it for a couple of days and just see how it goes, see how it feels, and be very much aware of the changes that you feel from within. I know that this is powerful stuff, and I know that when you take care of yourself, only good things can come out of that. So that was my hope and desire to share with you today, and thank you again for keeping an open mind for this type of discussion and seeing the parallels of, of how we can directly relate this to our hobby and to our business if that's the case for you. Okay, so as we wrap things up today, I want to thank my sponsor one more time, Red Heart, and just really challenge you to try Colorscape. I know it sounds funny to call that a challenge, but this is a really cool yarn. I get to try a lot of different yarns, and I'm so grateful for that, and this is one of my favorites that have come out. I actually found it at a Hobby Lobby location near me, so it, it might vary depending on where you live and the type of stock that your store normally carries, but if you can't find it in-store, you can definitely find it on redheart.com. You can see all of the different colorways. There are 12 of them. You can read about it and order some. It's great. It's, it's a really beautiful yarn, and you can bet that I'll be using it in the future. That's all for today, my friend. Thank you once again. It was such a pleasure spending some time with you today. A lot more time than usual, but I'm grateful for that. So I will see you next week. And until then, pick your thing and make a difference. Bye for now.